0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you today. Good to worship the Lord together um, and sing praises to Him. So we open God's Word to hear from Him. Let's, Let's ask Him for His help now. Father, it's my prayer that You would come in this time and open our eyes and open our ears so that we may hear from you and we see your glory. Incline our hearts to love your word, to wait for every word. Unite our hearts and minds so that what we're receiving through your word is not just hitting our minds intellectually, but it is taking deep root in our hearts and causing change to happen and satisfy us with your word like honey upon our lips so that we will be dependent upon it and we will thirst for it and be satisfied in it i pray in jesus name amen well please turn in your copy of god's holy and perfect word to philippians small letter philippians in the new testament Today we're beginning a brand new series, studying through this letter, verse by verse, uh, through the book of Philippians. If you're new to Abner Creek, this is the regular diet of our church, uh, the style of preaching that we commit ourselves to. Regular preaching, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. And we commit ourselves to this style of preaching because we want our services to be God-centered, we want um, our time together to be biblically rich, and so we commit ourselves to steady biblical exposition through the Bible, because ultimately we know that it is God's Word that matters most, not man's opinion um, and so, as we walk through Scripture together, we are receiving His Word just as it, as it comes, word by word, and we are dependent upon it. There's lots of places you can go and hear man's opinions, but we want to commit ourselves at Iron Creek to hear from God in His Word, week after week after week. Some weeks, we'll study large portions through Philippians, and other weeks, like today, we'll study just small portions, today only covering two verses some of the key themes that you'll see in our time together through Philippians uh, include some of these encouragement for unity and service within the church. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a, in a church where it's disunified and, and no one is willing to serve? Like that is hard life in a church. And so in Philippians, we're going to see Paul encourage the church to To serve together and be unified together. Some other themes would be persevering in your faith through trying times. And who hasn't experienced trying times in your life already? And who is not going to experience those trying times? And when they come, the Apostle Paul, from the Word of God, has encouragement to us to persevere in our faith. And how we can do that. We're going to see... Encouragement for the church as we interact together to act in humility and grace. That's a hard one sometimes. Like, if we interact and and we rub shoulders and we do life together, responding to one another in humility and grace, it's the call of Philippians. And then having our joy sustained through various seasons of life, not just getting through life. Not just walking ho-humly, but being joyful in the Lord. We're going to see these as we study over Philippians the next uh, weeks ahead. So, last week we studied Acts 16. Acts 16 records the birth story for the church in Philippi. Paul planted a church there after a woman named Lydia and a jailer, the city's jailer, were converted to Christ. And they're converted, a church is established and you have a church in Philippi, and a lot's happened since Paul visited the church in Philippi in Acts 16 to when he wrote the letter to the church in Philippi. Paul would have traveled around many places. The church in Philippi would have grown some. Paul likely would have visited there one or two other times, and now he's writing a letter back to them, and we're going to see in Philippians that Paul's writing this letter actually under arrest, most likely in Rome. He's He's in prison or in, under house arrest, uh, and he, he, he can't go to the church as he once did, but he can still communicate that to them, and he does so by writing this letter that we now study. So look with me in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, With the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who don't know, I also work some hours at Chick fil A. Uh, It's a glorious place to work if you like Chick fil A. Um, We try our best at Chick fil A to make every experience great for you, the guest. Um, Sometimes we fail. I know. That may be a surprise with the reputation that Chick Fil A has, but we do sometimes we fail, and the way that we try to make it up to our guests when we um, fail them or we don't meet their expectations, As one way we do it is we we send out apology letters to these guests, and in the apology letters we'll include little coupons that they can use for their next visit at Chick Fil A. Now, I, don't, I hope I don't get a bunch of complaints this week from you guys so that you can get some coupons in the mail. But we send these apologies letters out so on my computer I have a template apology letter and the introduction and the conclusion of the letter is largely the same. I changed the name but in the middle portions where I really tailor the letter for the specific need of the guest of where we really messed up and need to fix it for him. But the introduction and the conclusion remain the same uh, for the most part. Now when we come to a letter like Philippians we may be tempted to to read an introductory part of the letter like we just did and we may be tempted to think this is, this is just simply a this is just a roped introduction that Paul uses like it doesn't really mean anything it's just kind of a, a filler for, for him and you know why we can get past this fairly quickly I mean so we can get to the meat of the letter now that is a temptation to think like that I mean, honestly, have you ever heard anyone say, Boy, in my quiet time this morning, I was just really nourished by the salutation Paul gave to Philippians. Probably not. We may be tempted to say, we can get past the introduction fairly quickly. here's, Here's my exhortation to you this morning. Every single word... Scripture is from God and is therefore intentional and purposeful. Just because there's a a pattern that Paul sets up, which there is to many of his letters, he'll introduce himself and describe himself. He'll introduce who he's writing to, the church, and he'll describe them, and then he'll he'll grant this blessing of, of grace and peace to them. There's a pattern, but just because there's a pattern doesn't mean we should skim over it. I'm going to read this. It's just two short verses. I'm going to read these verses one more time. And I want you to see if you can identify something that's repeated just in these two verses. What is repeated in the two two verses? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times in just two verses, we see emphasize Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right in the introduction of this letter, we see Paul and Timothy, they're writing as servants of Christ. They're writing to saints that are in Christ, and they're blessing the saints with grace and peace from Christ. Why in the world does that matter? It matters because in the pages of Scripture, we have the servants of Christ writing to the saints of Christ for the power and peace of Christ. The servants of Christ writing to the saints of Christ for the power and peace of Christ. It matters because God has something to say. And God has something to say to His people. And what God has something to say to His people is full of grace and peace and power. And All the world is looking for a remedy, right? A fix for marriage, a fix for loneliness, a fix for discontentment, a fix for... For lust, a fix, for complacency, a fix for satisfaction, and they're not looking for the fix in God. Romans says that no one seeks God. They may be looking for the benefits that come from God, but they're not looking for it in God and they're searching and it seeks them, it leaves them searching and it leaves them lacking. But what if we really believe that the words from Scripture were really from God to the people of God for power in your life? If we really believe that, that these words were from God and supplying power for our lives, we would pick it up and we would read it, we would consume it. It would, it would change our mornings. It would be the lamp to our feet. It would be our daily bread. If we really believed that when we opened the words of Scripture, it had power for whatever that we're going through. This greeting matters because it sets the stage for us to understand that that God has something to say through his servants to his saints for power. This is not simply to whom it may concern. right? This is thus saith the Lord. God has something to say for power in your life. So in this short text, we're going to meditate on the servants of Christ, writing to the church of Christ for the power and peace of Christ. Notice first the servants of Christ. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Paul and Timothy are labeled here as the writers of this letter. Paul's likely under arrest in Rome. Timothy, a disciple of Paul, is somehow in contact with him. Now, Paul and Timothy may be the writers of this letter, but they are not the ultimate author of this letter. They are servants of Christ with a message from Christ. These are imperfect men being used by God under the protection of the Holy Spirit, writing divinely inspired words of God. Listen to Second Peter 2, 1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Like, no letters came from man in the Bible. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how inspiration of Scripture works. These are human authors with their own personalities and, 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 and characteristics. Like, they're not some robots writing for God, right? They have personalities and, and characteristics. But they are, they're being carried being carried along by the Holy Spirit so that what they're writing is the exact divinely inspired words from God. Without error. And this is why I said God has something to say here. Yes, Paul and Timothy may be the writers, but God is the ultimate author here communicating a divinely inspired message. Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. And Paul could have referred to himself as many different things here. I mean, apostle, one who was blinded by the light, you know, leader of the church, missionary movement. No, Paul, in this letter, describes himself as a servant, which in the original language is actually close, closer to, to slave. He says, he's a slave of Christ. This is the identity Paul and Timothy assume about themselves. They are servant slaves of Christ, but not slave in the negative sense. Slave in the most positive light, slave in the most joyful light, of being willfully devoted to a master. Paul knows there's no big shots in Christianity. Doesn't it matter who he is? What matters is who he serves, and he does so joyfully and willfully. Now, the fact that they label themselves as servants here is, is, is very fitting for the a theme that we'll see throughout this book. The most healthy. Churches are churches who have cultures that just give off the fragrance of service. I think people are willing to step up, people are willing to serve. And we just finished Vacation Bible School this week, and Brie and, and her team, I just watched as I was mingling about this week, just people just serving with no recognition given at all. The most healthy and of churches have a culture of service and it marks the church a mentality that says this is not a, this is not about me this is this is not about us i mean we do things that we receive no benefit from until eternity but we receive no benefit from and we are gladly going to serve how our master has served us so fundamentally paul and timothy are servants of christ writing The message of Christ. And notice second, the church of Christ. Verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul refers here to the church as all saints. Now, don't get thrown off by this word Saint. And we need to reclaim how Scripture uses the word saint. Particularly from the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, the saint is a person who reaches some status of holiness superior to others. How you know they live a life of virtue and they are given this title of respect. Some supreme tier position of where you have some... Christians here but then then you have the saints this is, this is not how scripture portrays saints right maybe you've heard the song oh when the saints go marching in oh when the saints go marching in oh how I want to be in that number right you know the song right how do we get to be in the number of the saints marching in There's only one requirement. One way of being considered a saint. Look at verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. How do you know if you're a saint? Are you in Christ Jesus? Let me illustrate. So when I was growing up, I had some neighbors move in next door to my family. And we lived on a farm. And so it was a lot of open land. And so the the people that were moving in, they were moving into like over, it was probably over 300 acres worth of land. Very wealthy family. Like they built a house that is over a million dollars in value. They built like individual horse stables. They have their own horse arena. I mean, this family is just very, very wealthy. Well, One day, we get an invitation in the mail, like most other people did on my road. An invitation to celebrate uh, the woman's birthday party. The husband was throwing a big party for uh, his wife. Well, this, you know, it gonna be a typical party. It's going to be, you know, food and dancing and music, but not just any music. (laughs) Like On the bottom of the invitation, it said, private concert by Travis Tritt. Now, surely many of you know who Travis Tritt is. Like, big fan of Travis Tritt here. Um, so, you can imagine, small, farm community, rural, South Carolina, America community, Travis Tritt's coming to town. That's, that's a big deal, right? So, I was probably 13 or so. Um, and so, the day came. We got in the car. We, we pulled up to this elaborate property. And there's two guards standing at the gate. And we pull up, window rolls down, my dad hands the invitation, they check off a list, and we go in, and we hear Travis Tripp. All it took for me to get in that private concert was to be in the car. I mean, a 13-year-old kid, I mean, they didn't care who I was. The guards, they didn't know me from Adam. They had never seen me before. They didn't know my name. They didn't know what I looked like. I'm just a 13-year-old kid sitting in the back of a seat getting access to this private concert. If I would have walked up to the gate by myself, they wouldn't have let me in. If I would have driven myself, they wouldn't have let me in. If I would have ridden my bicycle begging them, they would not have let me in. All it took was to be in the car with the invitation. And I passed right through. This is similar, but on a much larger scale, a picture of being in Christ Jesus. You pull up to the gates of heaven. Everyone's there to see God. The only way you're getting in is to be in Christ Jesus, meaning you're not relying upon yourself. Like no one's walking into the kingdom of heaven saying, I deserve to be here. Like I've worked really, really hard, God, to get here. Or God, my family's name is it's known around here. Like, I mean, I got I got great-great great great grandparents in there, I've got aunts and uncles in there, I've got cousins in there. Like, I deserve to be in there. No one is gaining access to the kingdom of God knowing that. Or or, or trying to say that. No, you you know to gain access into God's kingdom requires perfect holiness, and you don't have it. None of us do. But yet, there is one beside us who does, Jesus. And we are going to gain access to the kingdom of God by being in this man. It's it's like Jesus opens his coat, and he pulls us in, and he walks us in. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So your only confidence to be welcomed into the kingdom of God is not to be found in who you are or what you've done. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. You can have the most popular name in all the world. You can have the longest list of good deeds in all the world. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. What matters is... Who He is and what He has done for you. And are you in Him or not? Paul emphasized this point in the letter, and later in the letter, in chapter 3 we're going to study. He says, I've counted everything in life as rubbish compared to Christ. And he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. That is the only way to God. To turn from yourself and turn to trust in Christ. To put all your faith and hope and confidence in what He has done. This, is, this should not be strange language among us as believers to say we are in Christ. We are, we are hiding ourselves in Him so that the Lord sees us as children of God. If you've never done that, if you've never placed all your faith in Christ and hidden yourself in Him, let today be the day of salvation. Just repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and trust in Christ. And if, if, that t- if today is the day, would you please just, after the service, shake my hand and say, today I've hidden myself in Christ. I would love to talk to you. This is what it means to be a saint. Are you in Christ? And If you are, you're a saint in the church of God. And so we see that that's who Paul's writing to in verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. But then he highlights two other groups in the church. Look at the text. Verse 1. To all the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul addresses the leaders of the church. Now why would Paul single these groups out? Why not just leave it with all the saints? I mean, the leaders are involved in the saints. They're they're in the same group. So why does he single out the overseers and the deacons and highlight them? I believe this shows the importance of a clear structural leadership for a church. It's clearly important for Paul as he includes it in the very first verse of the letter. Now the more you get to know me, the more you'll find out that I'll I'll be banging this drum. The health of a church is directly linked to the health of her leadership. The direction and flourishing of a church is directly correlating to the direction and flourishing of the leadership. A unified church starts with a unified leadership. A church that is like-minded and on purpose starts with a leadership that's like-minded and on purpose. Churches that are in constant disarray and disunified and in and, and conflict, many times are churches that have a leadership that's non-existent. They're, they're not intentional. They're disconnected. Now, church life is, is very different than corporate America. But I'm, I'm going to play on this just a second. Because so, I, I know many of you in the corporate world will be able to understand what I'm talking about here. You know in your company when your company suffers from poor leadership. Or disorganized leadership. You know when there's a lack of intentionality there or a lack of of focus, and everyone in the company can feel it. And it's similar in the church. Paul knows the importance of healthy church leadership here. Like, God did not establish his church and then leave her to fend for herself. Like, God gave specific guidelines as to how the church was to function and how the church was to be led. And in this text, we we see just two titles. Paul will explain their functions elsewhere, and we won't get into all that today. But we do see the two titles introduced in the text. You have the church at large with all the saints, and then God establishes, Paul writes, with the overseers and the deacons. Right in in verse 1. The first office is overseers. Overseer is a term that Paul uses here but it's a term that's interchangeable with other terms like uh, pastors or or shepherds or, or elders and other places in the New Testament. They're the same office. The second office mentioned here is deacons. The word deacon literally means servant. The primary job of the deacon is to serve the needs of the church. Now this doesn't mean that You know, an overseer doesn't serve. He certainly does. And it doesn't mean that a deacon doesn't ever have oversight on things. No, this is just the two functions of the office. They're pointing out how one serves and how one oversees. The elder or overseer, as Paul calls, serves the body by overseeing the spiritual and organizational needs of the church. You hear the meaning in the name. The overseer is to oversee, big picture, The spiritual health of the church and the direction and focus of the church. John MacArthur writes this. Elders or overseers mediate the rule of Christ. Christ is the head. They mediate the rule of Christ in local churches by preaching, teaching, setting godly examples, and giving Holy Spirit-guided leadership. This This is the role. When Paul uses overseers in Philippians 1, this is what he's referring to. The deacons, the second office he mentions, serve the church by performing more practical needs. So, like, when overseers identify various practical needs that are throughout the church, the the deacons are often the ones who are organizing, making sure those needs are being met for the church. We see this as an example in Acts 6, where you have the leaders of the church, and uh, they're trying to minister the word, they're trying to commit themselves to praying, and this need for serving tables arise. Well, if they go and serve the tables the whole time, then no one's going to be committed to serving the church in in prayer and ministry of the Word. And so they gather together what we know now as deacons. And these deacons serve the church in this way so that the church is being served in a very practical way and the church is being served in a very spiritual leadership way. Neither neither office is more important than the other they they just have different roles and functions all needed for the church of christ and so notice in this text these offices have multiple people serving in them paul addresses a plurality of overseers plural form there in verse one and the plurality of deacons. And when you add up the duties and the responsibilities and the, and the, the load that someone bears, there's no, it's evident why Paul means for these things to be a, a multiple of people because the load is just too heavy for one person. It's too large for one. Man, the New Testament pattern for healthy church leadership as ordained by God consists of plurality of overseers and plurality of deacons as demonstrated in the text. Now this is serious. In the church in Philippi, if it will remain healthy, Paul knows it's got to start with the overseers and deacons. And so we have the servants of Christ writing to the church of Christ, and lastly, for the power and peace of Christ. Notice third in the text, the power and peace of Christ. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I hope there's something going off in your head saying, why did I say power and peace, and yet the text says grace and peace? Well, that's a great question. What does Paul mean when he says grace to you? I mean, do you you use that language, like grace to you? It's just some spiritual platitude that he uses just to fill the column there. In order to understand what Paul's saying by grace to you here, you have to understand how the Bible uses the biblical word grace. In the Bible, grace is both pardon and power. Pardon and power. The most popular meaning of grace is pardon when you receive something that you don't deserve. So God gives us grace as sinners, even though we don't deserve that. He pardons us by forgiving us of our sins. This is probably the most popular form of grace. This kind of grace is seen in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. God has forgiven sin so that you can be saved in Christ. He has extended grace to undeserving people. But grace is also power. God forgives sin with his grace, but God also gives grace to not sin. There's a grace that forgives and a grace that empowers. We see this type of grace in passages like 1 Corinthians 15.10. It says, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. You could substitute power there. I worked harder than any of them, though it's not I, but the power of God that was in me. We see grace working, enabling, supplying, empowering. This, is, this was radical for me when I learned this years ago. Because I, For years, I'd only thought of grace as God forgives me, God forgives me, God forgives me, and never Until then did I learn that, yes, God forgives me, but God empowers me for for new life. I mean, the Bible is just full of commands. Philippians, you'll you'll see, it's just full of commands on how to live and what to do and what to stop doing and, and what to keep doing. And if we as Christians try to do these commands on our own strength, in our own power, we will drown We must have the the power of God that saved us to now come and empower us to live the life He calls us to live. The prayer I probably say more than any other prayer in my life, all right, multiple times a day, is something like God, give me grace. Give me grace to preach. Give me grace to do this, or give me grace to do that, or give him grace for this, or give her grace for that. And yes, I'm thankful for God and His grace to forgive me. But in the moment, in the Christian life, I need God's grace to come and empower me to do what He's called me to do in that exact moment. This is how the Christian life works. So we seek to walk in obedience to God. We cannot do this on our own, and it must be a daily dependence of God. Give me grace. Give me power. If you don't, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall short. Like I'm not even going to finish this sermon unless God gives me grace to do it. Like, do you pray like that? I encourage you to pray like that, to ask for the Lord to give you grace. When I'm, when I'm working, I, I love for there to be like just a, Overabundance of light where I'm working. Like, like I love this because uh, it's like blinding, but it is so much light. And so like a couple weeks ago, when I uh, found a table over in the office to work, um, I just I wanted a little bit more light, and so I brought in a lamp and another lamp and another lamp. And so now, like, I have a big light. And I have a lamp over here, a lamp over here, a lamp over here. And I'm not like I'm not challenged with my sight. I just I love being able to see. Clearly, And how silly would it be if you came by and I'm I'm studying and like I like have my face in the book, all right? And the lights are off. You're like, Donald, why not turn some lights on? And I'm like, I mean, I tried, but I just I kept flicking it, I kept switching it, and it just just wouldn't work. And so I'm just just struggling to see, but I'll, I'll make it through. And you look over, and the plug is. Plugged up. Like the, you don't, I don't even have the lamp plugged in. And like you're like, you can't see because you didn't plug it in. And, and sadly, this is how many Christians try to walk their life. They're, 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 they're trying to live for the Lord and obey the Lord and, and strive in obedience and they've never plugged into His empowering grace. they never asked Him to come and empower them so that He will illumine their eyes and so that He will turn on the light of Empowering obedience. Brothers and sisters, there is a there is a, a bottomless well of grace that pardons you in your sin. And there is an unending sea of grace that empowers you to live differently. When Paul says grace to you, to these believers, He's talking, yes, God, forgive them. But he's saying, I'm praying, a bless- I'm praying a blessing of power. So that when you read the rest of the Philippians, you're going to be empowered to do it. And that's why I say, power and peace. To emphasize the exact nature of the grace there. We have the grace of God Pardoning our sin, I'll close with this. When you have the grace of God pardoning your sin and the grace of God fueling you to live differently, brothers and sisters, you will have the peace of God and the, and the contentment and the rest in God. In the pages of Scripture, we have the servants of Christ Christ writing to the saints of Christ, for the power and peace of Christ. And my prayer for you this morning is that we'll believe it, and that we'll live it, and that we'll read it like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us a book, a book full of words, a book that you intend by the power of your Spirit to change our lives. We come to know the message of salvation in the Bible and that in the Bible we come to know how we are to walk out and live out our salvation. So Lord, I pray that in this time right now that you will administer your grace, forgiving grace for those who do not know you, Lord. Lead them to call out to you in repentance of sin and to trust in Christ as their Savior, to be found in Christ, to pray for that grace. And Lord, I pray for empowering grace to be distribute among all of your saints this morning so that when we leave this place, we are not leaving empty-handed, we're not leaving in our own power, but we are leaving in dependence upon you. So make it happen, Lord, for the glory of your name and the help of your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of reflection here for the first verse or so. uh, Just stay seated. I invite you to just reflect upon what you've... uh, heard today from the Lord, and ask the Lord how He will lead you to respond. Uh, I will certainly be at the front if you would like prayer in this time. I'd love to pray for you. Uh, I'd love to pray for you after this time. Whatever it is, you obey how the Lord leads you as we worship Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.